Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heart. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Scott. It's, uh, it's lovely to be here this morning. And I uh, thought uh, we'd have a look at Psalm 19, which is a wonderful psalm. Most of the psalms, all of the Bible's wonderful to look at. Uh, friends of mine often ask me, what's your favourite bit of the Bible? I usually find myself answering whatever bit I'm reading at the time. Um, but at the moment I'm loving Psalm 19 because I've spent some time in it and I hope that you will too. Uh, can I say I'm looking forward to morning tea as well? Um, not because sort of the boring bit's done and we can go and socialise, but because when I open God's Word, I actually like to uh, have time to talk about it and uh, to hear other people's views and and to have some discussion, and we don't always get that opportunity in this forum, but morning tea is a lovely opportunity to do that. And so I hope you'll take that chance to come up and maybe talk about what you think or ask some more questions or tell me where I've got something wrong. Um, that's all good stuff, and I think that's part of being God's people as we gather together as well. But that's something uh, I like to do. And there's, uh, there's an outline, as there is every week, and you might like to note your questions or thoughts and... Or, or not, but you can see how we're moving through the talk there as well. Please have your Bibles open as well. The Psalms are very easy to find, right slap bang in the middle of your Bible, and Psalm 19. On the outline there, I've got uh, next to the introduction, Ken Duncan. Everyone know about Ken Duncan? He's pretty famous. A few people are nodding, some people. Um, a couple of years ago, we were down in Sydney for a friend's wedding, and they very graciously gave us their house uh, to stay in and to have a couple of days after the wedding. Uh, and as we were enjoying their hospitality, I noticed on their walls a number of uh, those huge panoramic shots that Ken Duncan is so famous for. I, he's an amazing guy. I, I take photos of a beautiful view. You know, you're out there, 
you're looking at this lovely scene, you think, I must capture that, I must take a photo of it, and you get it home, you develop it, or you put it on your computer, and you go, ah, oh, that's not what I saw, how did that happen? But Ken Duncan's got this gift of somehow taking what is there and putting it on paper and on film, uh, and it's just wonderful stuff, isn't it? Um, I, I, I heard that uh, during his travels, Ken Duncan has gathered 60, over 60,000 panoramic shots all around Australia and around the world. Just marvellous. A few years ago, Rebecca and I were able to, uh, we were holidaying down on the central coast and we were able to go and visit his gallery down there. And uh, just amazing, a couple of walls, these beautiful pictures, views all over Australia. Uh, just wonderful. I, I can't even paint the picture with words. You've, you've just got to admire Ken Duncan for what he does. Um, but I think the most amazing thing as we were at his gallery was to discover that Ken is a Christian. He's a believer. And in fact, he, uh, as he has so much praise poured upon him, he says this. He describes himself as an average photographer with a great God. That's a great line, isn't it? An average photographer with a great God and that he is merely an interpreter. And he even uses the Bible to explain why he does what he does, why he's involved in photography. Um, he says from Romans 1, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. He's taking time with his photos to show the splendour of God's creation to people. And I think that's wonderful. Uh, and as I opened up Psalm 19, and as I think about Psalm 19 and the, and the first verse there, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands, that drew me to think about Ken Duncan and his work. And it draws me to think about the beautiful world that God has placed in us as well. So let's, uh, let's get into this psalm, and we're at the first point there on the outline. So let's just read the first few verses there. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. I think uh, David here, as he writes this psalm, uh, he's, he's talking about how the glory of the creator God can be seen in so many places. Uh, I, I think of um, the beautiful sunset. There's a mate of mine who's just come back from Perth, and of course he's enjoyed uh, taking time with his photographs of taking the, the uh, sunset as it sets over the ocean, something we don't get to appreciate on the east coast. Uh, the sound of a bird, not first thing in the morning as you're waking up or not wanting to wake up and the birds are waking up, but as you're outside and you're listening to the birds chirrup or as you look at the flowers and as you stop and actually look at the flower and see the, the design that, that is there in that flower. Or one, one thing that amazes me is looking at a spider web first thing in the morning and the dew is just hanging off the spider web. 
I try and take photos of that and it just never comes out. But as you, as you, in the stillness, look at that, my mind can't but help think of the one who has designed this, who is behind all this. Have you felt that? Have you had moments like that uh, out in creation? It might be looking at a waterfall on the edge of a cliff at night looking up into the sky. All sorts of moments when we just stand and go, Uh, one of the guys I was talking to over morning tea after the, the uh, earlier service said he, he just can't look at something without saying thank you to someone. He, he says, you've got to say thank you to someone. It's interesting because um, the idea of creation speaking is very big here by David, isn't it? He, he mentions um, the skies proclaim, they pour forth speech... Um, their voice is heard, the voice goes out. Uh, as I wondered about that, I, I thought a little bit about that expression. Uh, you know how a picture tells a thousand words? Uh, and I think David's picking up that kind of idea that uh, in creation it's not just a picture. In fact, creation is screaming out to, show, to say how great the one who put everything in place is. Scr- screaming out to say, isn't this wonderful? Um, a few years ago, I remember walking uh, from my house to another house across a paddock, and it was in the midst of uh, a lightning storm. It wasn't raining, it was just these amazing flashes of lightning. And as I walked across this paddock, I couldn't help but think how small I was and how powerful God is. Surfers talk about the same thing when they're out in the surf, that there's this presence of power. Uh, a really amazing experience. Last week I was camping with uh, Carlos out at Swan's Crossing and after I'd put him to bed and I'd just lay on my hammock and I looked up, turned off the lights and the lanterns and could just see the stars. As I thought about how big and amazing God was, I was also thinking how small, how small I was and yet how great it is that God would put these things in place. In this psalm, David goes on to talk about the sun. He finds that the sun is a marvellous illustration. Here's this great ball of light that gives uh, light to day and God has placed it under his control and it's like being a train on a train track. The, The sun doesn't just wander off where it wants. The sun goes the same way along the, the track that God has laid out for it. Despite how good and big and amazing it is, We're told even that is under God's control. Isn't it amazing that so many cultures developed by worshipping the sun? David is telling us that's not the way it's supposed to be. The sun is a sign of how great God is and yet cultures worship it. Can you believe there's still um, people who read their stars? That somehow the stars that God has placed in the sky can tell our future? Any newspaper, magazine, they still have astrology. Unbelievable that in our modern society people would think that way. But that's what happens, isn't it? We can get caught up uh, into thinking that that, uh, this creation that's supposed to point us to God, we actually start to worship creation itself. It's actually interesting. I found a quote by Muhammad, the guy who founded the Islam faith. Uh, Listen to what he says. Uh, He wrote this about the God he saw 
in creation back in the 6th sixth, sixth century. The marvels of the starry heavens, the day that follows the night, the rain that gives life to the dead earth, the ship that sunders the sea, the bird that flies, the horse that gallops, the motionless rose and the still stone, the winds, the clouds, the fire, water, the glance of a woman, the smile of a child, the palm tree that bends, the date that ripens. Here, O oh believers, are the proofs of the power of God. The trees sing of his power. Flowers waft their perfume towards him. He is the Lord of the pink morning, the white noon and the blue evening. Interesting, isn't it? We probably agree with Muhammad there, wouldn't, wouldn't you? He says things that are very helpful. But of course, if you know anything about the, the Muslim faith, you'd start to ask, well, how is it that Muhammad can get things so right and yet get it so wrong as well? See, the heavens do declare the glory of God, but what God? Do we join with the Egyptians and worship the sun god Ra? Do we join with Muhammad and his followers and worship Allah? Do we join with the Greeks and worship Zeus? Which God does, do, do the heavens declare? And I think it's great, and probably David does this on purpose. He doesn't finish the psalm here, leaving us with that question, because he points us exactly to which God the heavens do declare. Have a look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, in keeping them, there is great reward. It's interesting as um, this psalm takes a bit of a change in direction here, as David starts to sort of, instead of looking outwards, starts to look in, well, not inwards, but downwards to the scriptures. There's a change in the way he refers to God. If you have a look in the first few verses, it's, it's God. But there in verse 7, it's the law of the Lord. And when in the Old Testament scriptures we've got Lord in little capital letters like it is in this psalm, it's actually the translation of the name of God of Yahweh. And Yahweh is the name that God reveals to his people. When Moses comes to the mountain and he sees the burning bush, he goes to investigate and it is God who is speaking to him. And Moses says, when I go back to Egypt and I tell them God has said to save his people, has been sent to save you, who do I say you are? And God says, my name is Yahweh. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I am. And this is the name that, uh, that David is using now, purpose, purposefully, I, I believe, as well. See, we can only know God in creation in very limited ways. We, we, we have signs of how great he is and, and the things that he has done, but what do we really know of him? 
But David says, if you want to know that God, let me show you to, let me show him to you in the scriptures. Because in the scriptures, God reveals himself. In the history of his dealings with his people, with Israel, through the prophets, God speaks. God is not a God who is just somewhere out there. He's wound up the planet like a clockwork uh, clock and just wandered off and left it running. God is a God who comes close and speaks and reveals himself to us. Let's look at some of the things that uh, David shows us about what God reveals about himself. Firstly, he says that the scriptures offer life. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, bringing the soul life. He's saying here you cannot maintain a dynamic, vibrant life with God if you neglect the word of God, the scriptures. The word of God is that which gives life, spiritual life, life that never ends, life in all its fullness. I I, I love the picture of uh, that old person on their deathbed, their last breath, they whisper, I need to hear something. Could you read something to me? Bring the financial review. Silly, we we don't hear that, do we? No, what do people want to hear? Read to me Psalm 23. Read to me Romans 8. Read to me the promise of eternal life, Revelation 21. God has made his scriptures the means of life without which we perish. It's not just the Old Testament, is it? 2 Timothy 3.15 The scriptures make us wise for salvation. John 3.16 Jesus comes, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that those who believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Where else is life to be found but within the scriptures themselves? Well, the scriptures offer life, they also offer light. In the midst of a world that screams all sorts of things, the scriptures give us the true thing. They shine to us. It's amazing, isn't it? Um, In the world, we hear how important it is to buy this thing because that gives you fulfilment. Do this, that will make you happy. Uh, I, I can't... I, couldn't believe it. Have you seen this ad for hair, uh, hair shampoo, I think it was? Uh, and it, the brand name of the hair shampoo is Lasting Relationship. So if you use this hair shampoo, like they don't say it, but, but the overall brand of this line of shampoo is, is, is suggesting we're going to have lasting relationships if we have clean hair. Bizarre. But in the midst of this world... We read in verse 8, the commands of the Lord gives light to the eyes. The reality of life shines out to us from the scriptures, not from the world, not from a world that ignores the creator. Such that, of course, uh, we read in John 1, the light comes into the world. The word becomes flesh. This is setting the scene for Jesus entering this world later on 
And in John 9, of course, Jesus tells us he is the light of the world. The scriptures offer life, they offer light, they also offer lasting joy. Verse 8, again, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Verse 10, the ordinances of the Lord are sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. The word of God rejoices, brings, brings greater joy to the heart and has such an effect in our lives that David compares it to the, the sweetest thing he could think of, dripping honey from the honeycomb. The most precious thing he could think of, the finest gold. It's a great image, isn't it? I think uh, if I was writing this, I'd be talking about chocolate. Um, that, that's the thing, you know. Anyway, uh, chocolate's just wonderful, especially when it's dripping. Anyway, um, But that's the idea that David is, tell, is sharing with us here. The scriptures are so precious, they bring this great joy to us. Such that, again, what does Jesus say? John 10, I have come that you may have life. Not just some future pie-in-the-sky kind of life. He says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Everything good that is in life is found in our purpose of being with Christ. I, I, I find it um, amazing at times that as I talk with Christians, they can be the most unhappiest, the saddest the most guilt-ridden people that we know. Have you found that? It's a bit of an extreme picture, and it's, maybe it's not that bad, but even just a hint of it is a bit out of kilter with what David is telling us that we can have, is what Jesus tells us that we can have. Again, I was talking to a fellow this morning who, who said he just feels so bad during the week with the stuff he does wrong. But on Sunday, it's great to come and be reminded that it doesn't have to be that way. Because in Christ, there is joy. Not guilt, not fear, not punishment, but joy in knowing that we have life and have it to the full. Does that reflect your life and how you live? Don't feel guilty about that. That's not to make you feel guilty. That's to excite you to what your week might be. But what kind of God do the heavens declare? It's a God who chooses to relate himself to the world, a God who chooses to reveal himself to the world, a God who chooses to step down and enter the world and walk this earth, a God who offers life, who offers to show us the light of reality, who offers a deeper and more lasting joy than anything that this world can offer, who gives his life that we might have life. We could leave it there. It's a wonderful place to be, isn't it? But, you know, as I uh, read this psalm and, and I read as David writes this, I get this sense that David has gone, look at this, amazing. Who is this God? Wow, look at this. This is the God who reveals himself. And I can just sense at verse 12 there, David throwing himself to his knees as he goes, my goodness, this God is so marvellous. Who am I? Who am I? The third and final point there, the grace of God. 
In verse 12, David then moves on to write, Who can discern his errors? Ah, Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. This praise of God in the in the creation and in scripture stirs, seems to stir up David in his own unworthiness. That moment as I walked across the paddock with the lightning, as I lay in my hammock and looked up at the, at the sky and the stars, as I think how small I am, I too am stirred with how I reject God, how I walk my own way. I love my independence. I love to do things my way. But as people who love God, who the Spirit has stirred within us something new and different, as people who love God, we've got to be people who take sin seriously, as the Scriptures take sin seriously, as God takes our independence seriously. See, I think what David is uh, suggesting as he ends, brings this psalm to a close, he's suggesting that To rightly understand the word of God is to see all that he is. But also we need to see all that we are as we stand before it. And the way of dealing with our independence, of our rejection, of our sin. In fact, the only way of dealing with it is to throw ourselves on God's grace and on God's mercy. I think we can fall into a bit of a trap as we think about sin as, well, it's just something that gets in the way for a little bit. It's just something minor. It's kind of like that disease you have, you know, there's a few spots, we'll just bear with it for a little while and the medicine will take care of it. But the Bible's view of sin is not that it's just on the surface, but that we are riddled deeply within and it is something that is going to take us to our death. Um, the sin is this innate desire to go our own way and without the spirit of God at work in our hearts to look at the creation the beautiful sunset is to go wow that's lovely and that's it without the spirit of God in our hearts to look at the scriptures even well they're nice stories that's a lovely book isn't Jesus a nice man but they are the words of our rebellion and our rejection. And David is telling us, if you want to deal with that, there's only one way, and that is to throw ourselves down before God. And of course, as we come to the New Testament and we know the full story of the Scriptures, we know that that is a command to throw ourselves before the cross, to come before the cross of Jesus as he gives up his life that we might have life, that our sin might no longer rule us, but that we might be united with Christ and live out the life in all its fullness that he has given us. And it's wonderful there that David would come to verse 14 and the end is not to see God now addressed as as the accuser of us as sinners or as a judge, but instead to see us, that we can come before him as his refuge, as our refuge, as our redeemer, as our champion. And so that David finishes, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart 
be pleasing in your sight, O Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. It's a great psalm, isn't it? All of scripture is great, uh, but it's lovely to be reminded of this movement through this psalm uh, of how amazing creation is and should point us to the creator, the one who made it. And that should point us to the scriptures. Who is this God? He is the God who reveals himself in our scriptures. And what is our response in the midst of that? To bow our knees, to come before the God of all, to remember who we are and to beg his mercy. Are we drawn to declare the glory of God in the beautiful sunset, to proclaim the hands of God at work in the beauty of creation? As you see that, are you drawn to seek God in his word, to reflect on how it is the law of the Lord revives the soul, that the ordinances of the Lord are sure and righteous? And as you do, do those precepts give you great joy? Do you have a pure fear of the Lord? Not, not like a dog cowering, but as the one who can do all and has promised all for you. And as you reflect on that, is that more precious than our jobs, our houses, whatever? Don't feel guilty. Think of the big picture of God and what he has done through Christ. And does that then throw you on your knees before a God whom you can only throw yourself on your knees, a God for whom you can claim as your rock and your redeemer, whom you have no other claim but through the cross of Christ. What better encouragement this week than to go back and have another look at this great psalm. May God increase your confidence that this book is indeed the very word of God. May God persuade you this week that in meditating on it and following it, there is great reward, greater than the finest gold. And may you discover every day of your life the great benefits of life, wisdom and joy that can only be found in a life lived out with the God-man, our Lord, our God, our Redeemer, our Saviour. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you that it is only by your spirit and in Christ that we too can pray. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Yahweh, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.